I'm Austin Miles with V-Bar Livestock in Whitesboro, Texas, and you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to be with you again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we got some news from EPA this week about blending volumes for renewable fuels. And that's some news that's been a long time coming. Also, you need to plan for what is coming up in the spring. It's no secret. We have shortages of all types of farm inputs, fertilizer, chemicals, parts, you name it. And you need to have a contingency plan in place for what's going to happen if you can't get what you need to produce a crop in 2022. We'll have both of those stories coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. As our drought situation in the Texas High Plains gets worse and worse, the likelihood of a forage shortage is growing. That could mean an opportunity for farmers, but it's one that comes with a potential downside. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Determining return on investment for farmers and ranchers from water conservation practices. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The Central Texas Blackland region has received some moisture. We were still drier than we'd like to be for this time of year. This is Dr. Shane McClellan, and I'll have more from Waco. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Environmental Protection Agency has announced blending volumes under the Renewable Fuel Standard, as well as proposed action on some small refinery waivers. They even went as far as retroactively setting the volumes for last year, this year, and for next year. The 2022 volumes are proposed to be the highest volumes in history, some 3.5 billion gallons more than 2020 levels. Tom Haig with the National Corn Growers Association says this provides certainty for the renewable fuel sector. That's important to know where we're at and where we're going forward in the future with it. EPA has also denied 65 small refinery exemptions, an issue that caused a lot of controversy during the Trump administration. Fertilizer and chemical shortages have become a reality for Texas farmers and ranchers. Texas and U.S. farmers will need to continue to be flexible moving into the new year as higher prices and supply chain and labor issues continue to impact fertilizer and chemical availability. Kyle Marushka, a branch manager for Helena based in Taylor and Mumford, says farmers should keep in touch with their sales representatives as multiple backup plans may be needed. It's affecting our chemicals and fertilizer, mainly the nitrogen, UAN, liquid nitrogen and urea. There's some legitimate concerns about us running out. The fertilizer price has more than doubled. And now the big thing for us is glyphosate, which is Roundup. 
there's not going to be enough Roundup for this crop. Me and my team, we're looking at other options. We're going to have to use some chemistries we haven't used in decades to help us with these shortages. But everything's extremely tight. It's going to be a very real struggle. That is Kyle Marushka from Helena. I'm Jessica Domel with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Two Texas wheat growers are recognized as National Wheat Yield Contest winners. Sean Kimbrell of Sunray, Texas and Kenneth O'Neill of Groom, Texas have both been announced as national and state winners in the winter wheat category of the National Wheat Yield Contest. Kimbrell received second place in the National Dryland Winter Wheat category for the percentage increase over which his crop yield exceeded the county's five-year average. His final yield was 50.89 bushels per acre. That's 211% over the Moore County average. Kenneth O'Neill received fourth place in the National Dryland Winter Wheat category for percentage increase over his county average. His final yield, 76.53 bushels. That's 190% over the Carson County average. As the drought gets worse in the Texas High Plains, the likelihood of a forage shortage is growing. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. There could be an opportunity coming the way of our local farmers, but it's one that can come with a downside. It's a situation that relates to two big concerns our Texas High Plains producers are facing, high fertilizer prices and a worsening drought. Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says one consequence of our prolonged lack of moisture is the potential for another forage shortage like the one we had last season. And when that happens, what we often see is many producers coming in and bailing corn stover and really trying to capitalize off of every output they can get off of a field, their grain, their biomass, every production output. But what we also need to be considering for producers who are looking at selling their corn stover is what about the nutrients you are taking off that field? And that's going to be very, very important because as that stover, of course, starts to break down, we will see those nutrients be introduced back into that system. But if we are removing everything, we eventually are going to have a higher fertility requirement on those fields. And so when we talk about high fertilizer prices, I think producers really need to be weighing the value of the nutrients that are tied up in that stover. So that's something I think we're going to have to reevaluate. Once again, that was Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell. Coming up in our next report, we turn to one of Dr. Bell's AgriLife colleagues, dairy specialist Juan Pinero, as we look at the amazing and continuing growth of our region's dairy industry. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Water Development Board has funding to help Texas farmers conserve water. Tom Nicoletti tells more about the program. The Texas Water Development Board is seeking applicants for its 2022 Agricultural Water Conservation Grants Program. Here is Kathleen Jackson, who serves as a board member at the TWDB in Austin. One of the things that we're looking for this year and something that producers oftentimes do in their business plans is determine the long-term sustainability, feasibility, and profitability of their conservation practices by actually quantifying a return on investment. So not only a good investment for today, but also a good investment moving forward in terms of water conservation for overall profitability of the business. 
The Water Conservation Grants Program has a long successful history of providing funding for various projects across the state. The program actually started in 1985. Since 1985, we have awarded more than $100 million in grants and low-interest loans through the program, and it has been tremendously successful. It's a great investment by the state. Just over the last five years, water savings for projects that have moved forward through this program have saved nearly 500000 acre feet of water. Your board recently uh, considered and approved uh, allocated funds for the fiscal year 2022 grants program. How much uh, is going to be allocated? Right at $1.2 million in grant money that's available. Again, hoping that producers will contact their political subdivision, their groundwater conservation district, and apply to move forward with projects that promote the agricultural water conservation. Now, the deadline to submit applications is February 9th, 2022. How can people apply? Well, the best thing to do to apply is to go out to our website, twdb.texas.gov. And uh, we have all the information out there regarding the application and what is required. Also, we are going to be, uh, along with the Texas Association of Groundwater District, hosting a webinar on December the 14th at 11 a.m. about the application process. And also, they'll be talking about some successful related projects that have moved forward in the past. What is the significance of the Agricultural uh, Water Grants Program? Well, what we know is that the individual farmer is very efficient in terms of their water usage. Farmers can be up to 98% efficient. So they are great stewards of the water resource. And so this is an opportunity for them to share their expertise, to actually look at innovative technologies, equipment to be able to enter into and work on demonstration projects. Kathleen, of the $1.2 million allocated for fiscal year 2022 grants for the Ag Water Conservation Program, any idea about how many projects that would fund? That is open as up to what we actually receive in terms of the application. Typically, what we've seen, just to kind of give you a figure for what we've done, you know, in the last five years, we've funded 84 projects. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Central Texas Blacklands have received some moisture this fall, but Dr. Shane McClellan says it's still much drier than they would like to be at this time of year. This past week, Central Texas received varying amounts of rainfall, from a few tenths to half an inch. After a dry spell, of course, any moisture we receive is welcome. Uh, we really need more rain. We need it to rain and dry up in another rain. In Central Texas, we are nowhere near as dry as they are west of us out in the Rolling Plains region of Texas, but we are fairly dry for our part of the world. Looking at the short-term forecast, that we, or the amount of rain we've received, I should say, not the forecast, the last 30 days we were about two inches under our normal rainfall. That's not terrible, but what concerns me is we look further out. The last 180 days we've only received two inches under our normal rainfall. What that means is for the previous six months we're receiving less than our normal rainfall. Six months under our normal rainfall is going to put us in a drier pattern than we need to be. The rains we have received have been small in those two-tenths, four-tenths, Kind of rains, they add up to that total amount of rainfall, but it's very deceiving. They're, they're not as beneficial as we really need a bigger rain that would provide some deep soil moisture. Cool season annuals are emerging and offer some grazing for livestock. Uh, small grains that are planted in late September and early October have provided enough moisture to germinate, come up, and uh, allow some livestock to be turned out on them. If you look at our wheat notes, it was planted later into early to mid-November. It's come up, it's emerged, but it's not growing very fast. It's kind of slowly growing uh, due to this lack of soil moisture. Cotton harvest is continuing in central Texas. 
few folks still still in the fields. Most have, have finished harvest. Yields are still reported being good. Everybody's kind of switching over from cotton harvest to putting out in hydrus and, and plowing corn ground right now. This is Dr. Shane McClellan reporting from Central Texas for Texas Ag Today. Conducting a prescribed burn can help improve food resources for wildlife. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And fractured teeth is a common occurrence in animals. Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors, we are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org stress to learn more. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Fractured teeth is a common occurrence in animals. Dr. Bob Judd says sometimes it's a problem and sometimes it's not. Tooth fractures can be painful for pets and should be examined by your veterinarian. Because most pet owners do not examine their pet's teeth, it is unlikely most owners will know if their pet has a fractured tooth or not. Lots of dogs and cats are not fond of an oral exam. But this is important, and this is another reason why you should take your pet to a full-service veterinary clinic at least once a year to get an exam as most low-cost vaccination clinics do not examine the pet. You may think the oral cavity is okay on your pet because the pet is still eating. However, pets have evolved to still eat even with severe dental disease. So if you wait until the pet stops eating, your pet will be in pain for a long time before the issue is treated. Not all fractured teeth require surgery, as a non-complicated fracture is usually not painful to the pet and no treatment is usually required. However, a fractured tooth that extends below the gum line or a fracture that enters the pulp cavity should be treated. If the tooth has a black dot on the fractured surface, it is possible the pulp cavity has been entered, which will lead to pulpitis and death of the tooth. If pulpitis is present, it is likely the tooth will need to be extracted or a root canal can possibly be performed to save the tooth. It can be difficult to determine if the pulp cavity is involved or not in an awake patient. Sometimes the tooth will become gray or pink, and this indicates pulpitis is involved and treatment will be required. If the pet is under anesthesia, your vet can attempt to stick a probe in the tooth, and if a probe enters the pulp cavity, we know there is pulpitis. The other method of determining the health of the tooth is with dental x-rays, and the patient also has to be anesthetized for dental x-rays to be taken. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Conducting a prescribed burn can help improve food resources for wildlife. Jessica Domel tells how in today's Wildlife Report. 
Conducting a prescribed burn can create a natural food plot for wildlife and it can promote flowering plants for pollinators like monarch butterflies and bees. Thomas Yonke, coordinating wildlife biologist and prescribed fire coordinator for Quail Forever, says it can also help control brush. A lot of our brush species, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you yield, are re-sprouters. So if you just cut them or shred them or even burn them, a lot of times they're going to grow back. It can be frustrating, but it can also be really beneficial for wildlife because plants that may have either been out of reach for them to eat or browse on or plants that were just kind of old and decadent and didn't have much nutrition value, that regrowth is going to come up from the base and it's going to be not only within reach to be utilized by an animal to either eat or to use as cover, but it's also going to be at a much higher nutritional level and more palatable for them to utilize. Fire has a lot of benefits in vegetation management and wildlife management for that. Conducting a prescribed burn involves more than simply starting a fire. It requires strategy and pre-planning. For those that take the time to do the proper pre-planning, you're going to have a much better chance of not only accomplishing your management goals with the right timing of fire and possibly even the right ignition strategy of fire, because those have effects as well, but you're more likely going to keep that fire contained within your burn unit because you've done great preparation work that could entail developing the proper fire breaks around your unit so the fire doesn't escape as easily, making sure all your equipment is ready to go. That was Thomas Yonke with Quail Forever. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. USDA released their monthly crop production and supply and demand report on Thursday. It didn't affect the markets too much. The exception is probably the wheat market, where we saw big double-digit losses following the report. We'll update all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We've seen the cattle futures market drift lower all week long, no exception on Thursday. We were lower on just about every contract. We'll start with live cattle, where December was down 82 cents, 136.72. February down 87, 137.80. April live cattle down 65 cents, 141.22. About the only higher contract we see is on the nearby January feeder cattle. It was up 67, closing at 164.07. March feeders down 80 cents, 165.07. April feeder cattle down 65 at 167.85. Cash-fed cattle market finally picked up on Thursday. We saw sales out in the country at 140 on live basis. That's about two bucks lower than we saw last week. We had the online fed cattle exchange selling again on Thursday morning. They sold 278 head of Texas cattle. They brought 140 to 140 and a quarter. Boxed beef prices mixed Thursday. Choice was up 16 cents, 264.27. Select down $1.24, 251.85. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear sheep and goats, it's time to head to the hill country, talk to Sean Geiswhite. 
of Gillespie Livestock about the sheep and goat sale he has every Tuesday. Sean, how did this Tuesday's go for you? They went well, Larry. We ended up with right on top of that 2,000. Might have got a few more on the kids. It was about steady the last week. Feeder kids kind of still bring up to $4 to four ninety, I guess, on some. And some of those real little light kids, you know, uh, 30 and down to kill, they, they kind of bring up around that $5, maybe a tick more. The kind of 60 to 70-pound kids kind of all bring from three, oh, 380 to up to 420 or 30, you know, just depending on what they were. Some of those better boar muttons. Might have brought just a tick more. So I thought we got along real well there. Uh, lambs might have been just a tick softer. I quoted them a little softer. There wasn't a whole lot of activity there. They still bring, you know, around that four bucks on some of the lighter ones and uh, some of the heavier ones, you know, that 350 to up to, to 390. And then we had some big lambs, you know, kind of weighing that 100 to 140. So we had some wool lambs that brought, uh, I think they weighed a tick over 100 and brought 315. So I thought that was awful good. Billies were steady. Kind of bring that $3, 280 to 3 15 all day. I thought that was awful good on those, those older billies. Uh, nannies were uh, steady, kind of bring from uh, killer nannies, depending on the flesh, from, from 160 to, to 320. I know that's a, a broad range, mm-hmm. but some of those younger, lighter carcass ones, you know, they'd, they'd bring that if they had some youth to them and to, uh, to kill. I thought I thought the market was awful good all day long. All right. Well, tell everybody how to contact you, Sean. Ian Riches, 830-997-4394. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs closed strongly higher Thursday. The December contract up a dollar sixty, seventy-two forty-two. February hogs up a dollar seventy-seven at seventy-seven eighty-two. Class three milk was mixed. The December down eighteen cents, eighteen fifty-eight a hundred weight. While January milk was up three, nineteen eighty-one. The cotton market, not a lot of movement following that USDA crop production and supply and demand report Thursday morning. The report was actually somewhat friendly to the market. USDA kept domestic ending stocks unchanged at 3.4 million bales, but they cut world carryout by 1.2 million bales. So that is somewhat friendly to the market, but we did see a slightly lower close on the nearby contracts. March cotton down 13 points, 106.59. May cotton down 8 at 105.24. New crop December 22 cotton up 10 points, 89.84 cents. The corn market finishing mixed. The nearby's higher. The deferred's lower. December corn up three and three quarters, five eighty-eight and a half. New crop September corn down a penny at five sixty-four and three quarters. As we mentioned earlier, the wheat market seemed to be the market most affected by the USDA report. USDA increasing its estimate of U.S. ending wheat stocks from five hundred eighty-three million bushels up to five hundred ninety-eight million bushels. That, of course, put some pressure on the market. With July Kansas City wheat down fifteen and a quarter, seven ninety-one and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down sixteen at seven seventy-four and three quarters. In the energy markets, January natural gas down three at three seventy-eight. January crude oil down a dollar seventy-five, seventy sixty-one a barrel. The financial markets mixed on Thursday afternoon. The Dow up sixty-nine points at thirty-five thousand eight twenty-four. The Nasdaq down 227 points, 15,559. The S&P down 23 at 4,677. That wraps up our look at the markets. And that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. 
Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.